Well, as I mentioned this morning, I want to address with you tonight uh, the fact that many in our country right now at this particular time are afraid, afraid of the future, afraid of what's going to happen. And as Christians, we don't need to be afraid. We ought to be the people of greatest courage. And to address that tonight, I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 10 and verses 26 through 31. Matthew chapter 10 and verses 26 through 31. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He is telling them that a time of persecution is going to come where brother will turn against brother. Parents will turn against their children. Children will turn against their parents as he looks off into the future. And this is what he says. Matthew 10, 26 through 31. So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Our first point tonight is a time of uncertainty. To say we live in a time of uncertainty is probably an understatement. In, pro in fact, it's probably a great understatement. I want you to think of where we are at in our country right now. We've got three plus months until the presidential election. And we've got some people who say they can't stand Donald Trump. And we've got some people who say they can't stand Hillary Clinton. And we've got some people who say they can't stand either one of them. And folks, that's where we're at. And if you don't believe it, all you have to do is turn on the news every night and you will see news stories about one of those three groups of people. Bob Schieffer, the longtime analyst for CBS News, who's covered presidential elections for decades, now retired, but being used by CBS News in his retirement, said that this likely will be the most contentious and bitter presidential election that he has ever covered. I was reading one news story where it said that when we wake up on November 9th, the election being on Tuesday, November 8th, when we wake up on Wednesday, November 9th, whomever our president is, that person will preside over a very divided country. That person will preside over a country where at least half of the people are totally, totally opposed to their policies. As all of you know here tonight, in our country right now, we have got huge tension between police officers and the African American community. Seems like on a regular basis we turn on the news and find that some young African American male has been killed. We turn on our televisions and we find on a regular basis, at least lately anyway, 
that police officers have been killed. Tremendous tension. Marching in the streets. Right now in our country, the United States Supreme Court is literally hanging in the balance. Our Supreme Court, I personally believe, has been given more power than our founding fathers have ever intended for it to have. But nonetheless, it is the reality that we live in. And with the death of Judge Scalia, we found the court found itself in a very awkward position with eight judges rather than nine. But we now have a situation where the next president of the United States could nominate anywhere from three to four justices over the next four to eight years. Justice Scalia, of course, unexpectedly, very unexpectedly, passed away. Justice Ginsburg is 83 years old. Justice Kennedy is 80 years old. Justice Breyer is 77 years old. Again, the next president could nominate three to four justices over the next four to eight years and determine the direction of the Supreme Court for the next 20 to 30 years. That's not new to you. You've heard that on the news. The LGBTQ agenda that I talked about a lot towards the end of our study of First Peter, that agenda is advancing at a breakneck pace, breathtaking. I was meeting with Paul Case this week, and as Chris mentioned, he's not feeling well. Do pray for Paul. He's got some kind of stomach ailment that is now not allowing him to play his horn, and so he's actually couldn't play tonight and has had to cancel some other um, music engagements that he has had. But we were talking together, and he, had, he, he just made the statement, the rapid pace at which the gay agenda has advanced recently is, is stunning. I mean, things are true today that weren't true 10 years ago. Things are true today that, that, that weren't true just a few years ago, and they have this certain measure of power and clout in our country where it is only likely to advance at the same rapid speed in the years to come. Seems like all the time now. I mean, it's amazing how many times we turn on our televisions and there's been some kind of terrorist attack or terrorist-related attack. We think of ISIS, we think of Al-Qaeda. We hear about lone wolf attacks. We hear about young men and young women in our country being radicalized by radical Islam. And folks, terrorism literally threatens our very existence. It does. It is a huge issue not only in the United States, but around the world. But I think there is an issue that may be bigger than all of those. And that is that the freedoms and liberties of people of faith are in serious danger. Our ability to speak out, our ability to share our ideas or our worldview 
in the workplace and in the community is being seriously threatened. You know, I was reading one or, or saw one story on TV where it was talking about an LGBT rally that was taking place. In fact, it was taking place simultaneously with the Democratic Convention, as I recall now. And they asked the question, can gay rights and religious liberties coexist in the same country? And some people in the audience shouted, no. No. And folks, that is the environment that we are faced with. One leading LGBT thinker said not too long ago, we have won the culture war. The question is, how much compassion will we show to religious people and should we show any at all? And that's the thinking that is in the world that we live in right now. Well, that brings us to this passage. Three times in this passage, Jesus tells us not to be afraid. In verse 26, he says, So have no fear of them. In verse 28, he says, And do not fear. In verse 31, he says, Fear not. And I want you to know tonight that passages like this have brought comfort to God's people for centuries. Our brothers and sisters in the faith throughout the course of church history have gone through terrible times of persecution. And passages like this have been sources of great comfort and great courage, and they are meant to be that way for all of us tonight and in the days and years to come. First, Jesus says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid because the truth will prevail. In verses 26 and 27, he says, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Every evil deed, everything will be exposed in the light of God's blazing truth. You can be sure that whatever is going on around the world, it will eventually be exposed for what it is. You may sometimes be filled with anxiety, saying, I can't believe they're getting away with this. I can't believe our culture doesn't see this. Well, let me tell you, in the end, everything will be brought to light. God will make sure that everything will be revealed for what it is. Truth will be truth. And lies will be lies. Second, he says, do not be afraid because God is greater than anything that man can do to us. In verse 28, Jesus says, and do not fear. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's a great verse. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot touch, cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The worst thing that anyone can do to you is kill you and send you home to glory. That is the worst thing that anyone can do to you is to kill you and you send you home to be with Jesus. Throughout the history of the people of God, Old Testament and New Testament. They have found great courage in the fact that their lives are in the hands of God. 
And if they live, they live for God. And if they die, they die for God. And so they do not fear to live and they do not fear to die. Third, he says, do not be afraid because God takes special care of us. And that's what I want us to focus on tonight. That God takes special care of his people and that includes every single one of you here tonight. So out of those three truths will come three other truths. Our second point is three truths about God's care. Three truths about God's care. First of all, God cares about things that we don't even notice. In verse 29 it says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. That is an incredible verse. And I know that many of you, if not all of you in here tonight, have read that dozens if not hundreds of times. But I want you to think about it again with me. Not one sparrow, not one sparrow will fall to the ground apart from your father. God knows when every sparrow falls to the ground. Sparrows were among the humblest of birds in Bible times. Two of them, Jesus said, were sold for a penny. In essence, what Jesus is saying is they were, practically speaking, worthless. Monetarily speaking, they were worthless. And you could get two sparrows for a penny, and by the way, that was really significant because that's all the poor would have. And the poor, as you may know in the New Testament, could substitute a lamb or a ram or a goat by using sparrows for their offerings at the temple sacrifice. Here are these tiny birds, basically worthless from a monetary standpoint, and not one of them. Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the knowledge of your heavenly Father. There is a song that we have sung over the years called His Eye is on the Sparrow. His eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. It's not in our hymnal, the current hymnal that we have. And I had asked Paul, uh, case to consider playing it tonight and obviously that didn't work out but it's a, a wonderful song and it's one that has reminded us that if God's eye is on the sparrow surely he watches over us but not only does God see the sparrow when it falls but the sparrow cannot and will not fall apart from the father's will I want you to think about that with me tonight. The sparrow cannot and will not fall apart from the Father's will. That means that God cares about things that we don't even notice. I don't know when a sparrow falls to the ground. Every once in a while I'll see a dead sparrow in the yard or somewhere else. And you know, every time we see that, we should think God knew about that. He knew. He knew when that sparrow fell. If you are not in the habit of reading through the book of Job, I would encourage you to do so. If it's been a long time since you've read through the book of 
Job, I would encourage you to do so again. There is that great section toward the end of the book of Job where Job says that God knows everything. God knows everything that's going on in the forest, everything that's going on in the mountains, everything that's going on in the woods. When the deer give birth, God knows about it. When the rock badger gives birth, God knows about it. All of these things that are going on all over the world, in remote places, God knows every one of them. Every animal that is born, every tree that falls, every sparrow that dies, God knows about all of them. And it kind of reminds us that sparrows do fall. Sometimes they fall and sometimes they die. And it reminds us that sooner or later, troubles come to even all of God's, or come to all of God's people. When we think about the world around us, apart from our relationship with God, which I know is everything, but in some sense, we're no different than the people around us. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that God causes his son the sun to rise on the evil and the good. and He brings rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You see, just like the unbelievers, they get sick, we get sick. They lose their jobs, we lose our jobs. They go through financial hardship, we go through financial hardship. But know this, God knows. God knows exactly what you're going through no matter where you are, no matter what it may be that you are enduring. It also reminds us that sparrows fall according to God's will. There is a very real sense in which everything in the universe must fit into God's ultimate plan. Everything that is happening all around us, from the tiniest bird to the greatest world events, are somehow all within the sovereign providence and control of God. Alva J. McLean was for many years the president of Grace Theological Seminary in Winona Lake, Indiana. And he once said this, from the fall of a raindrop to the fall of an empire, all is under the providential control of God. Isn't that a great quote? Isn't that a wonderful thing to know? From the fall of a raindrop to the fall of an empire, all is under the providential control of God. God cares about everything that happens. God cares about the tiniest details of life. In verse 30 it says, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. That's, that's, that's quite a verse, isn't it? All your hairs, all the hairs on your head are all numbered. Now I know for some of you guys who are getting older, you think that's not much of an accomplishment for God. But let's just talk about most of us tonight, okay? Let's just focus on most of us. I want you to think that God knows the number of hairs on your head. I was reading this week that scientists say the average number or the average human head has about 100,000 strands of hair. 
average human head has approximately 100,000 strands of hair. And I read that the number of strands of hair you have can depend on the color of your hair. So blondes and brunettes have more hair and redheads have less hair. Aren't you glad you came tonight? You know, it was not meaningless to be here. God knows every hair in your head. They're all numbered. And Jesus says that so that we understand and so that we know that even the smallest details of our existence, the very numbers of hair on our head are known by our almighty caring God. And if God cares for things that matter so little, then we know that he cares about things that matter so much more. But I loved what one writer said. He said, we tend to say that there are big problems in our lives and little problems in our lives. But God doesn't see it that way because they're all little problems to him. We say there are big issues and there are little issues, but not so with God. When he looks at things, everything is a little issue in comparison to his immense power and his vast knowledge. If God knows each strand of hair individually, he knows each of us individually as well. God's knowledge of us, of you as a person, is not just general. It is amazingly specific. He knows us through and through, and he knows us in the minutest detail. Take great comfort in that. He doesn't know just generally who you are and where you live. He doesn't have to Google your address or phone number to find out who you are or where you are. He knows everything about you. And sometimes we have to come back to that simplest and yet mightiest of truths that God knows all of our thoughts. He knows all of our motives. He knows all of our intentions. He knows every single thing about us. In some ways, that's kind of fearful but in some ways, that is incredibly comforting. There is nothing that is going on in your life right now that he is unaware of. In fact, he knows us better than we know ourselves. Right now, at this moment, God knows you better than you know yourself. I want to read something that I found. I thought you might find it interesting just to illustrate this. It is an illustration that Charles Spurgeon once used about the life of Joseph. Not Mary and Joseph, but Joseph of the book of Genesis. And this is what this little article says about Spurgeon's illustration. If you just bear with me for a minute as I read this. Charles Spurgeon illustrates, God, illustrates God's minute care from the life of Joseph in Genesis 37, chapters 37 through 50. He points out that there was a chain of circumstances that had to happen in a particular way for the story of Joseph to take place 
just exactly as it did. Spurgeon offers a long series of questions. Why did Jacob want to send Joseph out to the field? Why were Joseph's brothers on this particular day in a different location than where Jacob originally sent him? Why did the Ishmaelites come along at that exact moment? Why were they in the mood to purchase a slave? Why were they going to Egypt and not to some other destination? Why did Potiphar purchase Joseph and not some other Egyptian? Why did Potiphar's wife have designs for Joseph? Why were the baker and the cupbearer in prison at the exact time that Joseph was there? Why couldn't Pharaoh remember his dream? Why did the cupbearer first forget Joseph, but then later remember him? Spurgeon points out that every single one of these seemingly unconnected events had to happen in a particular way at a particular time for Joseph to be in the right place at the right time to preserve his family in Egypt during the great famine in Canaan. Spurgeon goes on to say, God is to be seen in the little things. And he uses... Spurgeon uses a wonderful phrase to describe random details. He says they are the minutiae of providence. They are the minutiae of God's providence. I want to share something with you that I shared with you at the beginning of January, and I had hoped to share it a number of times throughout the year and haven't had the chance, but it really fits in tonight, and I'm hoping to share it some more as we go towards the last half of 2016. I just want you to think of this in light of Matthew 10. John Piper, two quotes. First quote is this. Every moment in 2016, God will be doing 10,000 things in your life. Every moment of this year, God will be doing 10,000 things in your life, your life, not just generally, but in your specific individual life. Second quote, second quote. I just love this. God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. What an amazing God we serve. He is at work in my life in ways I can't even understand. He is doing things with my life that I don't even know about. He has designs for my future that I'm not even aware of. He knows the people around me. He knows the circumstances. He knows what he he wants for my life. He knows whether I will obey or disobey, God is at work in your life. I want you to just drink that in tonight. God is at work in your individual life. I don't care who you are or how unimportant you think you are. God is doing amazing things in your life right now. He is doing amazing things in your life on July 31st, 2016. God cares about us even when trouble comes. 
In verse 31, it says, Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Now, the sparrows are important to God, but I want you to know this. Jesus didn't die for the sparrows. He died for you and me. That means your life is of incredible, significant value. And when we think that the king of the universe, because that's who Jesus is, when we think of the king of the universe came into our world and died as a substitute for our sins and died so that through him we might have eternal life and abundant life, it should do some things for us. First of all, it should give us boldness in our times of trouble. You know what Paul said in Romans 8? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's a great thought. If God is for us, who can be against us? It should give us boldness that our lives are being controlled, are being lived according to the design, design that God has for each of our individual lives. Second, it should give us confidence in our moments of confusion. Sometimes we just don't understand. Sometimes we're confused about world events. Don't understand, Lord, why you're allowing these things to happen or why these things are happening. But it goes beyond that. We're confused just in our own individual lives. Things happen to us or don't happen to us that we just don't understand. And we need to know in those moments of confusion that God sees it all clearly. We don't have to figure it all out because he already has. He has everything under his sovereign control. And then it should also, also give us hope in our times of sorrow. One writer said this, when you're behind closed doors in the privacy of your bedroom and you're crying and you feel pain in your heart and soul, God is right there with you. God knows everything you are doing. Maybe you are shedding tears that you cannot share with anyone else. Maybe you are going through burdens and hurts and uncertainties that you have a hard time sharing with any human being. Maybe you can't share it with your spouse. Maybe you can't spare, share it with your parents or with your children. But God knows. He is your very present help in time of trouble. Even death itself, even death itself is in God's hands. I know when I was working with the Halstead family and Don Jones' family just recently when they went home to be with the Lord. One of the things we talked about, God knows when we're going to die. God knows. I, I believe that from the teaching of Scripture. He knows exactly when we're going to die. I'm kind of glad I don't know because I'd worry about it. But God knows. And when they died, it wasn't a mistake. It didn't just surprise God. No, God knew. He had it on his divine calendar exactly when that person was going to die. It was all in his hands. Here is the bottom line. 
In the life of a Christian, there is no such thing as luck or fate or chance. In the life of a Christian, there is no such thing as luck or fate or chance. Back on Father's Day, I shared with you some things from Tony Evans. Some of the men in our church went through a study with me on his Kingdom Man book. Actually, we did two years in a row of going through Tony Evans' books. The first one was No More Excuses. The second one was his book, The Kingdom Man. Tony Evans was, for many years, the senior pastor at Oak Cliff Bible Church. He's the founder and president of the Urban Alternative. And he writes this. Everything is either caused by God or allowed by God, and there is no third category. Everything is either caused by God or allowed by God, and there is no third category. Let me make three statements as we close to bring this all together. First, no matter what happens, no matter what happens in the days and years to come, let God himself be your security. Number two, no matter what happens in the days and years to come, lay your soul upon the solid rock of God's eternal providence. Take your soul and just lay it upon the solid rock, knowing that he knows all things and controls all things. Number three, no matter what happens in the days and years to come, rest, rest in God's sovereign control over all things. Let's pray together. Father, I praise you that we serve a sovereign God, that we serve a providential God who rules over all things, who reigns over all things, who guides all things. We rest in you. We find strength in you. We find great comfort in you. And Father, it has not escaped your notice that we live in times of great uncertainty. In the midst of that uncertainty, help us to hold fast to the solid rock, to Jesus Christ himself, in whose name we always pray. Amen.